Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Here's a brief but annoying message to let you know that you could have first heard this episode nine months ago if you were a subscriber to our Iron Filing Society Patreon offering. For the price of a pint and a St. Clements each month, you can get up to four episodes a week, nine months before the rest of the world gets them. Early access to regular episodes, lots of other marvellous benefits, and there's absolutely no adverts or brief but annoying messages like this that will get right on your ticks. Find out more and subscribe now at tftimemachine.com slash ironfilings. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. This is it. This is Top Flight Tune Machine. I am Andy Dawson. Pow, pow, pow. I'm Sam Nifty Delaney, pop pickers. Oh, there it is. Um, yeah, with Tune Machine and the uh, earlier in the week, we received a communication from the random pop blob who spews out a random chart for us to look at in these episodes. And it's time for us to say, random blob, use your gob, tell us how to do our job. That's it. And it says... 28th of June, 1984. Whoa. There. And our eyebrows flew off our faces when Mm. we were given that Mm. because um, it's a time in pop music that, you know, both of us love daily. And it was randomly chosen. We didn't pick this deliberately for our own needs. But um, I immediately knew what was going to be in this chart as soon as I was given that date. But then I looked at the whole top 40 and out of the 40 songs in it, I like, properly like 31 of them. I haven't so, I haven't counted it all up, but when, when I saw that it was 1984, I have always said consistently for many years that 1984 was the greatest ever year for pop music. So I had high hopes. When I looked through it... Mm. Even like the hopes I had were outstripped by the reality, yeah. because the amount of songs that genuinely number in my all-time favourite pop tracks, yeah, are all here, present and correct. It's astonishing that fate has dealt us this hand uh, for only our third episode of Top Flight Time Machine, and it's for that reason that we've already <clears throat> decided that this is going to be a two-episode special and omnibus. At least. It, it is could Im- be a 10-part it, deep it, dive, it, Sam. It, it's impossible. All of our favourite pop music is here. Well, I would, you know, I said to you just before we went on air, I don't think, I think I can confidently say this is the best chart ever in the history of pop music. Quite possibly. And, and you said, well, we can't be certain without looking at all the other charts, but I would say almost all of my favourite pop songs are all here. Especially <laughs> if you stretch it out, because we use the website, if you're interested, officialcharts.com, uh, which you can go on to and then just type in the date and you can look at any chart ever. And it'll actually throw up the top 100 singles. Now, if we're really going to get serious and mm. dig deep, like, mm. I don't know, for instance, you're a young man 
digging a hole with in, with the intentions of ending up in Disney World. Yeah. That which, by the way, this was exactly the sort of time I would have been doing that digging out the front. Right. This would be um, the soundtrack to this, your digging. This would have thing. been the soundtrack to my to my peak digging <laughs> years, and perhaps that's why I feel so affectionate towards the music. I would say that traditionally, one of the reasons that I theorised that 1984 was the best year for music uh, was because I thought, well, I was nine years old, and I sort of had this theory that nine is the best year, right? When you're mm. nine, what's great about it is is that you've you've grown out of very young childhood, so you've become old enough to appreciate great culture like, you know, so you're watching great TV, there was great films at the time, but you understand and appreciate pop music, right? And especially yeah. in those days with Top of the Pops, absolutely wonderful the way in which <clears throat> we shared in it. And But it's just before hormones kick in with the, distra- yeah. with the distraction of members of the opposite sex or the same sex, whatever you you, got, you went for. And also the, um, you know, the sort of anger, the introspection, the, the confusing thoughts and feelings that go hand in hand with puberty mm. and adolescence, right? You're before that, but you're after childhood where all you, you know, you don't fucking get things like pop music, right? Uh, so nine, football, your memories of football for when you're... So I thought it's nine years old. That's why I'm biased and I think all the music is best. But look, you were a couple of years older than me and you agree. So I think it might just be that forget all that theorising. It might just be that, objectively speaking, all of the best songs ever made happened to arrive around June 1984. There was something in the water, mate. There was definitely something going on. I mean, with me, I was 11. I was just about coming up to 12 when this chart came out. And for me, it was I was on the cusp of that thing of already loving pop music, but beginning to explore a little bit to the fringes and some of the weirder stuff as well. Mm. Um, and there's some of that in this chart that I was really into. Yeah, there's pure but, mainstream pop, and there's, there's some also, acts yeah, that are kind of more in the no stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it all made the charts. <clears throat> and I was, I was. Um, funnily enough, my son who's eight, so he's approaching this sort of what I have theorised is the sweet spot of life. He, he said to me the other just yesterday. He said, uh, "Oh, I'm glad I wasn't my age back." in your day and I said why oh. went, because all there was to do was what's top of the pops every day right and that's because I wish that, that, yeah I wish <laughs> I, I said no and I thought what a weird thing to say and it's because he hears me and my wife banging on so much it probably is really past. tedious you know like yeah. oh, top of the pops kids it was so great and I sometimes try to make them watch bits of top of the pops on YouTube obviously they yeah. couldn't give a shit right and I said first of all mate I mean I, you know I don't often lose my rag but I nearly did I went, first of all, mate, it wasn't every day. Sit down, son. It was once a week on a Thursday, and that's what made it so special. Yeah. I said, and second of all, it wasn't boring. It was the most joyous moment of everyone's week. And he said, but what about you having to sit through loads of music you didn't like? And I said, mate, that was half the point. You booed the songs you didn't like, and you cheered (laughs) the ones you did like, right? But secretly, although you were quite tribal and partisan about it, you did share in the collective joy of everyone's different sorts of music being celebrated. Mm -hmm. Uh, The BBC Radio have been doing the Great British Sing-Along every Thursday morning. 
I and right. it, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's the sort of thing you'd like, Andy. You might find it annoying, but I have fallen in love with it because what they do is you've embraced it with gusto, have you? Oh, so much. They have Radio <laughs> Two. Ra- Zoe Ball always goes first, so they do Radio Two, Radio One, mm. Asian Network, BBC One Extra, and then Six Music, and they all go in a chain, and it gets broadcast across every station. Right, and they all hand over from one another. Is it the same so, song? What different no, no. songs? So they, so the the listeners of the station vote for a song, and it has to be in the spirit of togetherness. Everyone, okay. you know, it's a British sing along, so it has to reflect yeah. that station's ethos and tone. Right, but at the same time, it has to be able to cross boundaries. Right. So yesterday was the last one because they, you know, the, the rationale is lockdown's kind of fading out now. So they stopped, but they've been doing it for like two months or whatever. All right. And yesterday was the last one. And I do you just, stand on your doorstep or open your windows and do it? You don't have to do anything. I mean, I did oh. it. I listened to the Who's whole singing thing. singing then? With you don't the, have to do um, Who's doing the singing? Oh, I was singing to myself, mate. I had the Bernard Langer, right? And yeah. I was just going around the kitchen. And then I had sweep, the... Sweep, sweep, sweep. And then I had the sing, mop. Sing, sing, mop, 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 mop. sing. Sing, sing, sing. Sing, sing, And I, it was perfect because I had it on. My son was trying to do his schoolwork, right? And he was moaning. And basically, so you got Zoe Ball, Radio 2. She plays All You Need Is Love by The Beatles. Wonderful. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, what? But almost the best song you could have for that sort of situation. So I'm singing mm. along to that, loving it. Um, Then she hands over to Radio 1. Greg James goes... This is a song that has been voted the uh, best pop song of the last 10 years by Rolling Stone and various other outlets. And sh- Is it Call Me Maybe? No, no but mm. that would be a good choice. Okay. But uh, it's actually better than that. And so that's how you know this is a, right. a banger, right? He goes, the performer is probably the most underrated pop star of all time. Right? Like, Whoa, yeah. where's he going with this? And it is Dancing On My Own by Robin, right? Ah, and yeah. Greg James, not the sort of bloke I can imagine you having a high opinion of. No, I like he, Greg James. He Stop went, me there. Oh, I like okay. Greg James. All right, well, yeah. I apologise. Well, he certainly went, um, I've never had a problem with him. And now, with those comments, I've thought he's gone right up in my estimation. Knighthood, right now. This, this fella knows his onions. So you've gone from All You Need Is Love to Dancing On My Own by Robin. Then it goes to um, Asian Network. And they play, um, ah, I've forgotten. I'm going to have to look it up, oh. but it's a classic song. Then it goes to One Extra and they play a Beyonce track that I actually was unfamiliar with. Uh, I think it's called Love on Top. And then finally, Six Music ends with Changes by Bowie. And I thought, and I said to my son, I sung along to all of these tracks, right? Even the ones you didn't know. You had well, a call. Did, the, the BBC music one was the, <laughs> the the Beyonce one was the only one I didn't know, and I I thought I was quite well versed on um uh, on Beyonce songs, but it was a song I didn't know. But I sang on to all of them, and even liked the Bowie one. And I said, "That is what I'm trying to say to you, mate. That is mm. what Top of the Pops was all about, right? A mix of songs, but that everyone felt good about listening to. We enjoyed them collectively." And ever since they cancelled Top of the Pops, this country has been going downhill. And that is no coincidence, Andy. No coincidence I'll tell you what, I, I, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I'll tell you when exactly when Top of the Pops went tits up. It was when they started making them sing live. Yeah, like why? Why did they do yeah. that? It's a, it's a platform for the records they want you to go out and buy. 
people go, oh, they were miming. Yeah, they were yeah. miming. They were miming to the records. They want you to go out and buy. That's the record they've made the in the record. studio for you. That's yeah. the product. It's That's not what going it's for. to see a band live. It's That's not, not fucking later with Jules Holland. I don't want to see how good. <laughs> Thank God. Fucking Phyllis Nelson can sing live or even Christa Berg with the Lady in Red. I want to hear the record that I'm going to go out and buy. That's mm. what it's about. It's the fucking I want it to chart. sound exactly like it. And I tell you yeah. what, I don't like it. Like, yesterday I was watching um, the Star Council on Top of the Pops doing, I think it was... We were in this chart, of course, Star Council. Star Council yeah. were in every chart in the first half of the 80s, I think. Yeah. Between 83 and 86, they were in every chart every week. The, the Are you start, rattling something? Yeah, my watch. This My metal watch. Uh, oh, God. The, my 1984-style gold Casio. <laughs> put um, it in your pocket, Delaney. Yeah, I'll just put or it Or hand it to me until the end it. of the lesson. <laughs> uh, the song that I was trying to remember was Truth Hurts by Addictive. Uh, sorry, oh, yeah. Addi- Addictive by Truth Hurts featuring Rakim. Um, that was the one that Asian Network played. Anyway, we're talking about music's going on now, but the point is that, yeah, you're right. I was watching Star Council, and the problem was I felt that because Paul Weller was so cool, it was a brilliant performance. I think they were doing their song, mm. The Lodgers, right? Mm. And DC Lee was, in that period of time, I think the coolest human being of all time. No one yeah. cooler before or since. Everything Big about her was, was amazing, right? And but she's sort of giggling, and I think they were both giggling because they were trying to show how they thought it was absurd that you had, couldn't sing live and you had to mime. Yeah, but I'm thinking, come on, the Star Council, don't be like that. Andy Dawson's <laughs> right; he worked in our price. He knows how the industry works, right? <laughs> People want to know what the record sounds like, so play the game, yeah. And yeah. the single version of a song is always the best fit version of a song, anyway. Mm. I don't like live albums. I hate live albums. They're, they're annoying, aren't they? Yeah. I hate Even when you have to hear the crowd sing. I hate when you hear that. Have you ever seen the Rolling Stones, like when you see clips of them doing live and mm. they just, they take songs that were very neat, beautiful three-minute pop songs from the 60s mm. and they make an absolute mockery of them with all sorts yeah. of silliness. Yeah. I don't think bands should be allowed to play their own songs live. No, or even do shows. No, I think they should play them down in the studio. I think they should make a really cool video, right? Hopefully with acting in. And then they should just leave it there. I went to see Madness live a couple of years ago in, I think it's called Hardwick Hall near Darlington. Mm. And it was, uh, the stage was at the bottom of this, um, this lovely hill. And everyone was kind of sitting on the hill. So everyone had a good vantage point mm. and it was a lovely summer's evening. And before Madness came on, uh, they played over the PA system. They played Pet Sounds, the album by the Beach oh, Boys. Lovely. Played most of that album. Mm. And I thought, I'd pay good money to sit in the sunshine and just listen to Pet Sounds with a lot of people. I agree. I mean, you know I mean? You know, without like, a live band being that, on, just play the album. That's why jukeboxes were so great. Because when you're a bit pissed in the pub and you can just put on a load of songs that you like with your mates sitting around... And then responding to them together. That's the best way to consume yeah. music, isn't it? Yeah, of course. Um, but Definitely. no one wants a live band doing it. No. When they're you all know, like, you better make shit. a madness come on and do shit versions of our house and baggy trousers. Yeah. Whereas you'd much preferred that there'd just been a big screen playing the videos, which were really funny <laughs> as well. 
because what's yeah. his name? The saxophonist would always yeah. be flying around Lee playing Thompson. his saxophone. Uh, to be fair to Madness, Madness are a cracking night out to this day because they don't yeah. fuck about with the formula. They just come on and do the hits. They do the thing. And yeah. they do them faithfully. So you can't go wrong with a night out of Madness. If you're a pop star listening to this, please perform your hits faithfully. Yes. And please do not do any of your new material. Don't do the new ones. No, <laughs> we're not here for the new ones. Although it is useful for people to go to the toilet during the new yeah. ones. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's get stuck this into chart. this chart. Uh, there's the first song we want to start with, really, it's not just the centre point of this chart, I don't think. It's the centre point of 1984 music yes, as a great. whole. Uh, so we'll just play a little bit of that first before we get stuck into it. Relax, don't you course is relax by frankie goes to hollywood which is one of the greatest pop songs ever made by mm. anybody and i will fight you if you fucking try to suggest otherwise mm. um it's number three in the charts because it's on the way back up sam it's june Quite a rare it, hit, thing. It, it hit the charts in the first week of 1984 we're at the end of june now <clears throat> it went in at number 35 and it was on top of the pops on the 4th of January, mm. 1984, when it was number 35. And I remember watching it then. I, I don't think I'd really heard it. And I was like, what the fuck is this? What is this noise? This was just, I mean, the the, the, the fucking beat, the sound of the bass, the lyrics, the attitude they had. It was just, my God, this has just come out of nowhere. 1984 started and it's given me this. What the fuck else is going to come later? And it was up to number six the week after after that appearance on Top of the Pops. Was was that, Relax their first single? Yeah. So they came out of nowhere, yeah. right? Um, how? Because when you look at them, even in context, it's hard to sort of understand in whose path they trod. They weren't they like really the, the other big bands nowhere. at the time. They They had nothing to do with really... You know, you look at some of these bands who were like electro synth pop that were mm. in the charts at the time. And then, of course, there was still like new romantic bands. Uh, you know, they didn't really fit with anything. So, I mean, what is their story? I know Paul Morley well, was the sort of Svengali <clears throat> figure who kind of imagined them also. Well, it, it kind of wasn't. It was, it, it, he, he kind of came in to do the, to, to, to put the, the, the icing on the cake, but it was Trevor Horn, the producer. Of course. Who he didn't manufacture them because Frankie already existed and they'd done stuff. And there was an early version of Relax that appeared on the tube in 1983. So I'd probably right. seen that, but it was a, 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 a lesser version, let's say. Um, I think they played it live on the tube and Trevor Horn hadn't really 
or, got uh, involved. He, he hadn't got involved, or it was you know it wasn't the, the finished version. But I mean, Trevor Horn had already worked on stuff like ABC's Lexicon of Love album, absolute mm. classic. Yeah, he produced stuff for Dollar. Now, Dollar to me seemed like a bit of a joke group. It was a boy and a girl singing nice love songs. But you look mm. back at the Dollar stuff now that Trevor Horn worked on, and it's stuff like "Give Me Back My Heart" and "Handheld in Black and White" and all that. And it was fucking great, great pop music. But Trevor Horn wanted something where he wasn't brought in to work on. He wanted to create a group and almost manufacture a group. And that was where ZTT, his record label, came in. That's where Frankie, of course, the Hollywood came in. And he built up Relax with them, uh, completely rebooted it from what it was originally. There's rumours that because the musicians in Frankie weren't good enough that he brought in the Blockheads from Ian Jury and the Blockheads to work on it. Mm. And that the bass in it isn't um, dunk, from dunk, Frankie. Dunk, it's, dunk, it's, dunk, it's, dunk, it's, dunk, no, this oh, is relaxed. Two tribes. We're yeah. getting onto that later. All right. So uh, I don't know how that true. How true that is. That might be a rumor. Whatever. Jalapeno. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Jalapeño. But uh, they didn't come out of anywhere. They were, Trevor Horn decided he wanted to make pop music that was just enormous and was unlike anything else. It kind of was like other stuff because 83, there was like high energy stuff going on, the gay disco scene and all that. So it's 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 born out of that. But yeah, I mean, they looked like that, you know, obviously they were, they were in the garb of the 1980s gay disco with yeah. the biker hats and the vests yeah. and all of that. But I think it was a naive time, wasn't it? I mean, everyone talks about their mums and dad's reaction when Boy George first turned up on Top of the Pops, which would have been a year or two earlier. But this was another thing where, as a child, to a child's eyes, I knew there was something strange, maybe... Exactly. Not, perverse is the wrong word, but to my my young eyes, it my was, young mind, it, it was seen it. adult. But I didn't, it was something you didn't yeah, know I, about. Yeah. I didn't know what. I didn't understand what they were on about or why they were dressed that way or yeah. why they had these cheeky knowing smiles on their faces. But I thought, yeah. well, there's something up here. Um, well, that, that week when it was number 35 and was on top of the pops, I went out and bought it. And 
the the cover of it. Have you seen the cover of it? Uh, what of relax? Of relax? No. It's well, got. I, I must have owned it. Have, Is have it? A look. I'm looking at it now. Have a look at it. It's got a man and a woman who are back to back. <clears throat> the man is wearing nothing. He's very muscular, very taut. He's wearing nothing but what appears to be leather, a leather jock strap, maybe. Um, and the back to back, the woman has got her arms wrapped around him. She's wearing like a leather bustier, which has got um, a, a spike coming out of the nipple. Um, oh, yeah, I'm looking uh, at it now. Amazing. Uh, like like um, skin tight boots that go above the knee. She's wearing nothing in terms Christ. of downstairs underwear. Yeah. And it says on the front cover, relax, don't do it. When you want to, suck it to it. Relax, don't do it. When you want to come. And I bought this oh. and I looked at it and I thought, aye, aye, this is something new. What this the is, fuck this is, is this? This is the world. This is a world I know nothing about. Mm. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. I'm almost 12. What the fuck is going on here? Well, we now know it was about <clears throat> bumming and... <laughs> and and the rumour was, or the suggestion is that the BBC Bandit or Mike Reed off of Saturday Mike Superstore um, yeah. refused to play it because of its references to bumming. I interviewed him on the now rested, much loved television show Sunday's News thing mm. a few years ago and asked him about it, and he kind of he 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 denied that he had yeah not he's changed his story a bit reasons. over the years, hasn't he? Yeah. yeah, but what's interesting is right. Here, what this was a time where you could have been forgiven for thinking, well, homophobia no longer exists because look at the culture that surrounds us. Look at this chart. Mm. Not you know, you got relax. Frankie goes Hollywood. Spoiler alert: are also at number one with two tribes. At number three is relax. A song specifically a how-to crib notes, as mm. far as I understand it, about how to do bumming. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. At number four, small town boy by Bronsky Beat. Is a very uh, is a beautiful, moving, poetic song. The story of a young boy who realizes that he is gay, mm-hmm. comes out to his parents. His father is unsympathetic. He mm-hmm. also is the victim of homophobic bullying, and therefore he has to leave his hometown he heads to, to live a to life London. elsewhere. Amazing video um, yeah. that tells the story really well as well. So there's another one. At number five, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go by George Michael, masquerading at the time due to what he perceived to be as a homophobic culture within yeah. the music industry and beyond as a heterosexual. A raging uh, heterosexual. A raging heterosexual. <laughs> at number seven, Farewell My Summer Love by Michael Jackson, a nonce. And at, and at number, number nine, nine Elton John, Sad Songs Say So Much, a man who was so gay... Uh, that he went that around this time he went full he was so gay and addicted to cocaine that he went full circle and accidentally <laughs> married a woman <laughs> a woman for a while yeah and yeah. that was the so that's just a little bit of what was going on in the sexuality of the hit makers but, in the top 10 of 1984 go further down high energy by Evelyn Thomas's number 14 massive mm. gear disco anthem yeah um, searching I gotta find a man here's Dean number 24 again big gear anthem uh, let's hear it for the boy Denise Williams again. Same category. So I mean, Gear Disco had really gone mainstream by 1984, and this I think this I can't remember there being really overtly gay pop stars before this. Boy George in '83 was a breakthrough, 
But he was even almost he was, was almost coming. asexual, Lord George, wasn't yeah, he? At it the was, time. yeah. And the fact that there was even debate around it in the playground and in the press. Yeah. Is he gay? Is he not gay? What like, is he? You're, a man? Like, a woman? He's, he's um, Inedible? I'm pretty sure he's gay, guys. <laughs> <laughs> you, What's gay mean? Is he really? What's he actually do? How does it work? Well, listen to relax. <laughs> they really, they spell it out pretty well. Um, yeah, I mean, bloody hell. Mm. What a so just interesting as well, and also just looking at like number twelve, White Lines by Grandmaster Flash, a song mm. about cocaine. I mean, drug powders, edgy times, man. Uh, this is, but what's interesting is this was the mainstream, the yeah. mainstream of pop music. So what I felt was was that when you got into the nineties, people thought there was two different things. Right, there mm. was edgy music that might be music you listen to a club or might be music from the streets like hip-hop or might be indie music, right? Uh, and then there was pop music and people would talk about Take That and the Spice Girls and say, this pop music is manufactured music where they don't write the songs themselves. It's very sanitised to name at a teen market, right? And they don't even decide what they wear. Everything is manufactured by behind-the-scenes record mm. executives, Right. And that is really how people thought pop music always was. But if you just went back 10 years from there to 1984, the most mainstream records that were selling millions of records, right, to children as well as sometimes grandparents too, none of it conformed to the Spice Girls take that model or template, right? Because Frankie goes, where are we talking about Wham!, who were just two lads who came up with a load of songs themselves, right, yeah. and discuss- and created their own image. Frankie goes to Hollywood. You know, you got songs about cocaine, anal sex, right, break dancing, gay <laughs> discos, right, the fucking lot. You got the Smiths at number twenty with a song called "Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now," <laughs> right. This was every all human life was there. Right there in the charts, selling millions. The, you, ma- the, 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 the outsiders, right, the misfits, were the mainstream. Yeah. Who was the mainstream? The misfits. These were. This the was misfits. it. Yeah. I've got, well, I mean, you've got, look, 23 Ultravox dancing with tears in my eyes about nuclear war. Two tribes were mentioned earlier. Will I mention again? Yeah. Nuclear war. Number 38, Madness, uh, One Better Day, a song about homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I want to be loved. Turning the town red by Elvis Costello at twenty five. That was, was a double theme, A side, and turning the town red was the theme to Scully. Scully, which was, yeah. I, which we were talking about on this show at some months ago, and I ended up rewatching a lot of it because Elvis Costello YouTube, wasn't it? was actually in it. And yeah. that was a that was a, a program with a lot of kind of gritty social realism. It was about yeah. unemployment, about the impact of Thatcherism. Elvis Costello had written a song about that. It was at twenty-five. I've got a theory about this pop, this pop scene of the early eighties being as subversive as it was, and I think a lot of them were all children of Boy. They were all really influenced by Boy when they were younger, and mm. then to a lesser extent maybe punk, mm. and they did their own thing. And then when they all got massive, like Spandau and Duran Duran, and and Wham split up in '86. They all got massive and they all lost their creative mojo. Perhaps they took some drug powders, which yeah. affected that creativity. Mm-hmm. And they kind of went off the boil massively and then Stock Aiken Waterman came along. Everything was sanitised. I've got I'm, I've got a lot of time with Stock Aiken Waterman, yeah. but it was different. And then Retro Companies got a chokehold again 
on the pop stars and the the, the talent and moulded them into how they wanted them to be in order to sell, whereas there was a lot yeah. more freedom but in the early 80s. But, but the, these bands that you mentioned spanned out... Funny enough, I've got Gary Kemp's book here right next to my bed in front of me, which I've been dipping in and out of, which is a lot of fun. Um, but they, these bands, they created a template, like you say, born out of probably a love of Bowie, I guess maybe the T-Rex to a lesser extent, yeah. punk, right? And then they created this idea these 80s pop stars of like a very bright neon lit mad outrageous eccentric sort of like unusual way of presenting themselves and fusing that with music that had a populism to it it's often in its production but also a depth to it in in its in its lyrics and proper musicality and there was good musicians and stuff they created all of that and and they came up with the ideas that years later, Stock Aiken and Waterman, and then later people like fucking Simon Cow, they basically stripped it of the soul, but took yeah. the surface and yeah. and basically scaled it up, started yeah. applying it to loads the, of bands. And the, so if you're the, like Nick Rhodes or Gary Kemp or George Michael, God rest his soul, you're sitting there thinking, you fuckers, we came up mm. with that as something meaningful and you've mm. just like nicked it and turned it into something that's bullshit. Product. And that's why sometimes I get annoyed with people who otherwise have, you know, decent taste in music, like they know their stuff, but they will say, oh, I bloody love the Spice Girls. Oh, you've got to love Take That though, haven't you? Right? And I think, mm. in a way, I just think, no, fuck off, it's shit. <laughs> Yeah, shit for you cunts. Know, it's, it's, it's bullshit. Yeah. It's, it's just it's a load really of bollocks. Boring. Right, don't think that because fucking Scary Spice had a stud in her tongue and kept sticking it out and wearing leopard, leopard print fucking dresses, right, yeah. that there was anything edgy or, yeah, You were being sold a facsimile of edginess and you lapped it up like the fucking scum that you are. What is that Comedy Central chat show? I can't remember what it's called. I've <laughs> got to look at it. No, there was just this, there's a funny US chat show that's sort of like a terrible, um, a terrible sort of. It's like a parody of one of those late night American chat shows. I don't but, know. But anyway, one time the host of it, I'll find out what it is. But the, the host had Mel Mel B on as a guest, right. and he said to her, "Did you love Mrs. Thatcher? Would she have been a Spice Girl?" And she does her trite kind of, "Yeah, of course. It's all about girl power." And he went, does does that include her sending hired death squads into Northern Ireland to murder people? <laughs> and the scary spice just looked blankly and literally looked off camera as if she was looking around Help. for her agent. Help. Oh, this wasn't part of the plan, right? Because that contrived edginess yeah. is a million times worse than no edginess whatsoever, but isn't it? Th- that All of that, and it was all done on the cheap as well in the early 80s. You got like Boy George getting his clothes from market stalls in London. And you've yeah. got Spandau coming out of a scene in, you know, um, new romantic nightclubs that were underground, dingy mm. underground clubs. But and they made all their own to. stuff, they, didn't they? They made, they, yeah, it was all self-made. And it was then exploited and they went on and became massive. But I, we've, we've kind of digressed away from Relax, but there's so much to talk about in this chart. We could go on and on for weeks about it, and I think we might do. I think we might do, because, like, you know, this is just, we've just talked a bit about Frankie Goes to Hollywood here. And I had this on 12-inch. No. I, I had two tribes on 12-inch. I was bought it for my birthday. Well, we'll get on to two tribes later on. Let's not let's not get into two tribes because that's a very different thing altogether and that's, a, that's another massive thing. But it, it was banned by 
Radio 1 and then by the BBC as a whole. It had been on top of the Pops once. It had gone in under the radar, but then it was number six, then it was banned, then it was number two, and then it was number one for five weeks. And then it slowly went down the charts. Um, it dropped off number one in 3rd of March, 1984. So that's still three and a half months before where we're at now. It was number two, then three, then six, 16, 21, 23, 21. Back up again, then down to 29, then still 29, 31, Back up to 26, 12th of May, up to 24, up to 21, up to 17, 16. And I think it was 16 the week when Two Tribes came into the chart. So it was already going back up long before Two Tribes came out. It was just this this out of control It was a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon. And I remember you couldn't get it with that picture sleeve later on. And it wasn't because it had been banned or anything. It was just because they were having to put out so many copies of it, they couldn't produce enough picture sleeves so it went out in like a one of those black sleeves with a hole in the middle makes it even cooler i had a disco for my ninth birthday party which would have been in april a few months before this but i'm pretty sure we had frankie goes to hollywood then Mm. right someone had got it for me as a present um i was allowed to but my brothers were the djs right right it felt really grown up to have a disco party Yeah, I'd gotten the idea from a kids TV show that I think was on Children's BBC and I can't remember the name but it was set at a seaside resort not unlike the Isle of Wight and I think that Yvette Fielding was an actress in it so before she was on Blue Peter and it was about teenagers growing up in this seaside town oh yeah I remember that yeah and I can't remember what it's called was it Scarborough or somewhere like that was it yeah I just thought it was fucking wonderful right I'd love to look back on it because it was very 80s the styling and everything and in one of the episodes one of the kids had a disco party and I just looked at it I thought this is incredible this is next level shit fuck McDonald's Mm. right and all these babies Sea View Sam Sea View that's it I'm going to watch it it back on YouTube and I thought Fuck fucking past the parcel, right? I'm a man now. <laughs> I'm a fucking man. And I'm going to fucking party like a man, yeah? And we're having a fucking disco at my gaff for my ninth fucking birthday. And we're going to listen to songs about bumming, right? Because that's the way fucking Delaney's rolling from now on, right? All that kiddie stuff's in the past. So it was brilliant because I had older brothers and they set up proper like, you know, DJing mm. table and got the record mm. player out and, and the speakers set up in the living room. We cleared all the furniture to the sides. Mm-hmm. My brother Theo had a job in a proper office and he put loads of time and effort into using the photocopying machine and various other arts and crafts stuff you get in an office, <laughs> right, to make a fucking sensational flyer for this party, which yeah. I used to have, but I lost in a house for a few years. I kept it for years, right? And it was all done with lecture set and stuff like that, right? Proper. Proper. And it had a picture of Madonna, but like classic 1984 Desperately Seeking Susan Madonna, right, yeah. in the lace and all of that. And she had a speech bubble coming out of her mouth and it said, and it's, you know, at top it said Sam's ninth birthday party, right? Anyone and, for bumming? And it had a picture of her and it just said, I'll see you there, right? Ooh. And it was fucking great. So I had these and I was literally handing them out to people in the playground. Like, this is my party. Mm. I handed them to the fattest boy in the school, Stephen mm. Payne. And... uh I said, Ego, this is my party. And he looked at it, and you know what he did? He sneered. He went, I won't be coming to that. And I went, really? Why not? And he went, I hate Madonna. 
And I was like, she's not really going to be there, dickhead. And he was like, oh, why did it say it on the invite then? Why are you lying? I'll never forget that. What a Lampard cunt. I'm glad he yeah. didn't come. But yeah. anyway, that it, uh, the, but I was allowed. But not because he's fat. Not because he's fat. No, I've got no problem with it's his relevant. fatness. But, I mean, he was particularly fat, so that's why it's worthy of mention. He wasn't, like, a bit chubby. I mean, I was a bit chubby. He was, like... There was always one in every school, He was the fat kid in the school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he. We had and, one. We had one called John Smith, but not only was he incredibly fat, he was incredibly violent as well. It was. Stephen Payne wasn't really violent. Day. Thank God. I, I had to think twice before mentioning his name there, just in case. You're still scared of him. Oh yeah. Uh, he. Uh, I think he was walking with a stick last time I saw him, so maybe he's got gout. Stephen Payne's parents were extraordinarily skinny. Ooh. And he was an only child, so everyone Curious. just assumed that all the food in the house went to him. They fed him up because they, they had were to so feed in love him like them. a beast. Yeah, <laughs> they created a beast. Anyway, feed the beast. Where's my food? Have you been eating it? No, son. I swear. Fucking good. Because look at how powerful I am. If I became violent, I'd be very dangerous. Yes, more. we know, son. We appreciate that. Yeah, have more food. Uh, anyway, I was allowed to buy one single for this party, right? Because we were mainly relying on my brother's records. And my mum said, yeah. you can go up to Smith's yeah. and get one single as a treat for the party. Mm. Well, what else was I going to buy but fucking Easy Lover by Phil Collins and Philip Bailey? I'm not, a right. di- I'm not an idiot, am I? If you've only got one single to get a party going, right, whether it was then or now, you buy fucking Easy Lover, don't you? What 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 year was this, Sam? What birthday was this? Eighty four, April nineteen eighty four. All right. Does it check okay. out? I'm just checking the timeline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, mm, no, Easy Lover came out in November eighty four. Okay. Maybe so, it was my tenth birthday. I definitely remember. Doesn't having matter. Easy Lover. It's all tied in. Well, anyway, um, you still would have is... played Relax at it. Bumming anthem. Oh, the bumming anthem was definitely getting a few spins. I think we'll, we'll, we're going to draw this episode to a close because there's lots more to say about 1984. This what we've given chart. you there is our 1984 overview and yeah. a, a slight dive into a couple of the singles. In in the next part of this deep dive into this particular Epic chart, we'll, Odyssey. We'll, we'll probably get a bit deeper into some of the other songs. I'll tell you what we'll do, Sam. A little bit of homework for the next one. We'll look online at both of the videos for Relax because they made two videos. One that was suitable for TV, one that clearly wasn't suitable for TV. We'll look at them. We'll talk a bit more about Relax. And decide we'll which into... one was best. Yeah. Well, it's not hard. We'll go into <laughs> Two Tribes um, and the whole Frankie phenomenon and we'll do other stuff in 1984. We'll but also this, be this talking about... This is a two-parter. Jump for My Love by the Pointer yeah. Sisters. Yeah. Time After Time by Cindy Lauper. Like I Thinking of You by Sister Sledge. I mean, for fuck's sake. And Change As of I Heart said, by Change. Come on. There's 31 songs in this top 40 that I like. I would go 32 if I'm allowed to like Dance Me Up by Gary Glitter, which I don't think I am anymore. You're not allowed. We won't mention I'm that I'm not yet. allowed. 31. 31 of the 40. Um, so there we are. We'll be back. Uh, we might knock another one out next week for the second part of this, I think. Oh, yeah. I think we should keep this going, mate. Definitely. I think we need to keep momentum on this chart. There's so much to say. Yeah. Give us your All 1984 right. memories, uh, no! Pop Pickers. No! Oh, no, don't do that. It'd be awful. I was a bad enough. 
But uh, yeah. go and look at the uh, the two videos for relax. That's your homework for next time. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, TTFN, dickheads. All the best. God bless. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.